Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Numbers 21 verses 4, 4 to 9. It says this, Traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. They were complaining, weren't they? Serious complainers. Verse 6 says this, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many... Israelites, the children of God, died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, the one that Moses had made, they lived. This is an amazing scripture. And I want to unpack some of this this morning. The title of this message is Snakes and Ladders. Snakes and Ladders. It'll make sense shortly. I promise. Well, I hope anyway. The children of Israel in this story, if you've never read it before, have been traveling. They've been traveling for a long time. Looking to get into the promised land. They were traveling through desert territory. Difficult places. And trusting Moses and trusting God ultimately that God would bring them into their promised land. And they were traveling for a long time and in this, just this short bit of these few verses, we see that they started to complain. They complained about the fact that there was no bread and there was no water. Now they didn't say there were no food, they just said, There's no bread and there's no water. They said we detest, we literally, we hate this miserable food. That miserable food in some of the languages was the manna that God had provided. It was the manna from heaven. When God sent the manna, the bread from heaven to feed them, when they were in this wilderness uh, walk, He sent this bread and they started to complain actually about the things that God had already given them. They wanted some other type of bread. It was like they just 
they wanted king's mill bread because they weren't eating king's mill bread. They wanted another type in their minds. But God had provided already for them, but they started to complain on this journey. So we just put into perspective that these people were on this journey to go to the promised land. And amongst this journey, when they see struggles come, the first thing they did was complain about their lack of bread and water. The very basic principles of being able to exist. They were very, very, uh, they were very discouraged, but they grumbled against God. Serious to do such a thing. The next part of the story says that God, because he saw them grumbling, you don't put this one on your fridge. He sent venomous snakes to them. He calls them fiery snakes. These were poisonous snakes. That it even says that when he sent them, and you imagine this, that they're around the camp, and another person gets bitten, and then another one gets bitten, and people start to die. God sent these snakes. Not the devil, God. You say, wow, I don't want that on my fridge. I just want New Testament scriptures. You know, the, sometimes it's difficult when we read this stuff. But what we do understand is when we unpack it, that God is all about God's character and how he's developing people. He then brings a solution. He says to Moses, build, this sounds very strange again, but build, make a pole and build, make a bronze snake and put that right where the crowd is. And all they have to do is look at it. And if they look at this bronze snake on a pole, they'll live, even if they've been bitten. He provided this solution for them. I don't know if you've ever played snakes and ladders. You might not have played in some countries, but in this country, there's a picture of it up here, is a game snakes and ladders. I sometimes play it with Jacob, and I always lose. But the, basically the principle of snakes and ladders is, is if you start off and you throw the dice and whatever, how many points you're going to move on, you want to move to the top to finish. But the unfortunate thing is on snakes and ladders, if you land on the wrong square on the snake's head and he bites you, not literally, you will go zooming all the way back down to one of the other numbers and you go backwards. Or even if you land on the ladder, you go up and advance. I don't know about you, but today I believe that some of us in life feel like we're on a game of snakes and ladders. You feel like one day you're going up. You're going to see the promised land at the end. But then all of a sudden, for some reason, you hit the spot where the snake bites you and you go all the way back down. And the problem is you see others next to you who are going even higher. There's some even lower. And life can sometimes be like this. And you don't understand it. You say, I'm a Christian. I gave my heart to Jesus. 
Life should be perfect. Friends, this morning, the first thing I'd say to you is that life isn't perfect when we're a Christian. Life is not about a game that you always win. There's going to be a victory and you are going to be a winner on the day of judgment. Yeah? But sometimes in life, we said it earlier, our testimony will help us to overcome. Jesus overcome the world, but there's still trouble in it. And he told us about that. He says, you're going to have to go through troubles, but I've overcome the world. The difficulties that we face today, we should expect them. If life was perfect, where would our faith be? And sometimes you feel, wow, I just feel like I'm going up, up and down this game and it never seems to be a a smooth run. It never seems to be easy to live my Christian walk. If anyone's ever seen the film Forrest Gump, when he sits on a bench and he says life is like a box of chocolates. You never know which one you're going to get. And it's true. Every day I've gone to work, there's always something. Someone is going through something. And it's always the same for us. So let's get one thing clear today. To be a Christian, to walk the walk of faith, we've got to expect these things. So how do we deal with them? And what can we learn from some of the experiences in this passage? The first one I want to bring today is patience is key. Patience is vital. The people grew impatient, wandering and waiting in the promised land. It's the first thing that happens in this story. They grew impatient. They've been wandering for a long time. And all of a sudden they just thought, wow, we're just eating this manna that God's provided for us. We can't handle this. They grew impatient. And that's when the grumbling started to come. And some of us today, you're saying, I've been waiting for years for God to fulfill promises. Some of you are thinking, I thought these things were going to happen sooner. And you start to grow impatient. You start to grow impatient saying, God, I remember when somebody spoke a word over me and they said that this was going to happen and... It's it's not happened. And what happens is you start to get um, depressed inside thinking that your life, these things that were spoken over you, the things that God spoke to you about is not happening. So you just trudge through life. The temptation for us is to let the frustration get in the way of our relationship with God. Impatience. It grows. If you read that bit of scripture, it says that they grew impatient. You don't just get impatient like that. Impatience grows. And they grew impatient as things started to go bad. And just as you might be going up and down, up and down, you grow tired and weary. You grow tired and weary and you grow impatient. And it's what you do as a result of that. You either be patient or deal with these problems. A famous person once said this, a minister said that patience 
is not the ability to wait. But it's how you act while you're waiting. Yeah. It's not the ability to wait. It's how you act while you're waiting. And some of us today, when in, when we grow impatient, we start to act differently. We start to let things into our lives. We start to let the less of God in us. Because we're thinking, do you know what? I'm going to try and do this my own way. I'm going to try and do life my own way. The thing is with this, it's the very first thing in the Bible that Adam and Eve had to face. Do I do life God's way or do I do it my way? The biggest challenge as a Christian today is for you to try and do it yourself. The enemy will say, do you really think that's a good idea what God says? Waiting? Waiting, you don't want to wait. Just like life today has become like McDonald's, drive in, get your stuff quick and leave. When I went to America the early part of this year, I realized how, how many places had these quick takeaway places. Starbucks, you just drove in and got your coffee and went. People want things quick. People want things quick in a microwave. They come in, they don't want to cook meals anymore. And life is getting like that because there's less time to do things. And because of this, our, our patience is affected. But it's what you do, it's how you act on the journey. And that's what happened with them. They grew impatient. And then they changed their character. Impatience brings out the bad character in us. It will bring out the worst in you. Now sometimes God does things and allows things to bring out the bad character in us so we can see it. Because sometimes when we come to church on Sunday and we put on our Sunday best and we say this is us, we're, you know, we're living a great life, sometimes we're really hiding the real you. Let's face it, we all can do a good mask sometimes, can't we? And none of us today have got halos around our head. When I, when I handed my notice in at work, people were saying to me, where, talk to me saying, where's your halo and all this? I said, I ain't got no halo. I ain't got no halo. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Nothing else. I can't do anything. God brings out these things. He uses things. He uses life like this. That's why we shouldn't expect the game to be perfect. To always win. We should know and understand that God might be allowing things to happen to bring out the bad things so that we can deal with them. You, the best thing you can do is cut impatience at the root before it grows anymore. God's, the God's people in this story desired better food than what he provided. Don't you think that God could have given them, when he provided manna from heaven, he could have given them the bread and water that they wanted. If God is God and he can actually make manna fall from heaven that they could eat, if he could do the miracles that we hear about in the Old Testament when Moses parts the Red Sea just by putting his staff in, don't you think he could have given them the bread that they wanted? But for some reason, he didn't. I don't know why, but what I understand is this, that sometimes God doesn't give us everything that we want because he's watching our character to see how are we going to deal with this. Do we grumble? Do we put him before material things? Or our bellies even. You're saying, well, 
I don't know whether I like this Christian life like this. I want God to give me everything I need when I need it. That's what it's all about. If I ask God for certain types of food, I want it there. I know certain people who, they always seem to pray and asking God for everything. And it's just like, yes, it's good to ask God for some of these things. But we must ask sometimes in the line with his will. Put his will first, his kingdom first. Think kingdom all the time. You won't worry about the other things then. Think kingdom. The kingdom of God. Peter said it last week. Put others first. Your destiny, if you want a destiny in God, it's about putting other people before you. Not about us. And you might say today, well, God, you, you don't understand what it's like to have a test. I want to just show you some scripture. I want you to turn. If you didn't think Jesus has been in this same predicament as what these people were in the Old Testament when they were walking on this journey in the wilderness, Jesus was faced with a very similar thing. Sorry, Matthew 4, verse 4, verse 1 to 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Let me just remind you here, when this bit of scripture, what we're looking at here, just before this, Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon him after he's just been baptized. It says the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. God acknowledges him as his son. He has just had... An amazing experience. People have seen the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. His ministry is starting big time now. But the first thing that happens is he goes into the desert. And he doesn't walk into the desert on his own. What did we just read? Verse 1, then Jesus was led, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This seems pretty unfair. He's just about to start his ministry and he's about to go into the desert and be tempted by the devil. You say, well, if he's just starting his ministry and he's been anointed by the Holy Spirit, why doesn't he go around and start praying for the sick and doing some amazing things? Surely he's ready and charged to be doing that. But the first thing that happens is God leads him by his Spirit into the wilderness. Sounds pretty similar to Numbers 21. They were in the wilderness. They were following God. They were doing the same thing. He says this, verse 2, After fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, Jesus was very hungry. The tempter, that Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Sometimes we think, and I don't know, this is just my thoughts. Sometimes we think that when the devil comes in the desert, he appears with his red fork, cue the devil. And he stood next to Jesus and Jesus sees him. We don't know what happened there, do we? We don't literally see this. We go from the scripture, what it tells us. But let me tell you this. When you're tempted by the devil, he's not sat with a red fork in your office. It comes here. You're challenged. Satan comes and challenges at the core in our hearts. And I believe that when, when he was in the desert, when he was in a place of lack, when he was in a place where he didn't have anything, when he was in a place where there was no bread, there was no water, there was nothing. Right at the peak of his ministry, I believe that he may not have just seen the devil, but the things come into his mind. Could I have everything I see? 
before me if I jumped off a cliff? Could I have the bread and water if I just command things for myself? Because Satan comes and challenges him to ask for the things for his own pleasures and not for the will of God. It's the same. They were in this experience of traveling through God's will. And they were challenged in their hearts. Do we grumble about what we want? Or do we trust in what Moses is saying and what trust in what God wants? And don't grumble. Later on it says in this bit of scripture, Jesus answered to Satan, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. His response is this, that you cannot live on bread alone. Bread is not the most important. He'd already proven that. He'd fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights without these things. But the enemy was coming right at the core as to say, do you really want to carry this on? Surely if you had bread in your stomach, surely if you had water, you'd be able to function your ministry far better. You'd have energy to do what you want to do. But he says, man cannot live on bread alone. I don't want to command these stones to become bread. He could have done that just like that. But the challenge was this, not whether he could do it, but how would he respond? Would he grow impatient with his father and say, I'm hungry, Lord. I could do that, couldn't I? I could do anything I want. But the father is watching his response. How will he act under such pressure? Because that is the thing that would release him into a far bigger ministry than if he'd have gone straight away. Sometimes, God leads us into wilderness places and he is testing us the same way. He's testing us in the same way. The devil will make you focus on your lack of the things you don't have. It's the first thing he does here. See the characteristics. Satan never changes. He hasn't got much creativity. God is the creator. Satan's not creative. If I remind you, right at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, what is the first thing that he says to them? Did God really say, you can't eat from that tree? If you do, you'll have everything. You'll know everything. He comes and challenges at the core, the very things that we're lacking and looking to see if we can be tempted to run for those things rather than God. But God's response and our response should be, man shall not live on bread alone but on the very words of God. The Israelites were saying this when they complained. They said, we've left Egypt, the place of slavery. We've left Egypt and now look at us. We're in the wilderness. We could be back. They were saying basically to Moses, complaining that we could be back in Egypt, in slavery, under slavery, but enjoying the bread and the water that were fed to them when they were in slavery. They were even complaining, saying, we've got this terrible bread that you supplied that we are not happy with. But we could also be back in our slavery position because we were fed better then. But God doesn't want you back in your old life where you were a slave to sin. He doesn't want you in that position. The enemy will sometimes say to you, 
you in your old life, before you gave your life to, to Jesus, you had a better life. You didn't lack some of the things that you're lacking now. But let me remind you, probably the reasons why you're lacking these things is not because your life's got worse. It's because God is doing something great. He is preparing you for the promised land He has for your life, which is far better than any natural bread and water. Amen? Jesus shows us here that the Word of God is more powerful than any physical need we could have. It's more powerful. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. I want to be like this, the one who puts my trust in God. Let me tell you, I find it difficult sometimes when the enemy challenges. You could have this, you could have this. But if we stand firm, look at what happened to Jesus when he came out of this test. There's no doubt that Jesus in in his wilderness test wanted bread. He was hungry. He was hungry. There's no doubt he wanted these things. And we just got to be careful that when we know the things that we really want, we don't allow the enemy to come in and use those to rob us of our faith and our walk with God. The writer of Psalm 119 says this, It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. God's decrees. He understood that it's good sometimes to be afflicted to learn from God. Point number two from this story is prayer is your priority. Prayer is your priority. Scene two of this story, the snakes come in. It's the result of their grumbling. The result of their impatience brings in the snakes. And we know that God sent these snakes because it tells us this. Knowing they'd sinned, knowing that they'd sinned against God because they'd grumbled, they understood what they'd done. They understood the level of what they'd done. They went to Moses and said, Moses, please pray to God. They, They must have seen their families, their friends being affected by these snakes. They said, Moses, please pray to God. Help us. Help us. We're getting bitten. There's people dying. What are you going to do? Please ask God to to stop this from happening. We're sorry. I'm sure they were saying, we're sorry for grumbling. We're sorry for what we said. We know we sinned against God. We want God's will, not ours. And as they said this, The response is Moses asked God. God says he provides a solution. How many of you know that Jesus provides a solution? When he puts things in place and tests us to see our character, he, he always provides a solution. Do you know what? They went to ask for prayer. They said, the first, this, 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 the second thing, the first thing they did is grumble, but they went and asked for prayer afterwards. Let me tell you this, as many people I've met who are not Christians, as soon as trouble comes, it's the first thing that they'll ask me for prayer. 
They'll say, oh, would you pray for that? They will resort to God. They'll come to God. God sends these troubles. He sends these snakes. And he sees them coming. God's desire was for them to come back to him. For them to come back to him in relationship. Things had got in between that relationship with them. Bitterness, impatience. These are not fruits of the Spirit of God. And they got in the way of that relationship. And some people died on that camp because of the seriousness of this story. And let me tell you today, the message of the cross is exactly the same. God's provided a solution. And people are dying without knowing Jesus. And all Jesus wants is to bring them to Him. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. When I used to receive, when I was a young lad, I used to work in a supermarket and I'd receive my money, in my, the pack of money for every week I worked and I couldn't wait to get it on Friday and I put it in my pocket. That were my wages for the work I'd done. I used to walk home with this bulging pocket of coins and I was so happy, my first job, going home. And I knew that that was mine. That money was earned by me. As a young lad, that is, I've worked hard. I've been up seven o'clock putting all these things on the shelves in the supermarket, and it's mine. I earned it. But the Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. There's only one way that we can have a remedy for that. Jesus says that he died on the cross and he rose again so that we can have everlasting life. Some of us, when we seem to be having difficulties, we're asking, why, Lord? And we don't understand sometimes that we are sinning. And sinning sometimes is not just doing naughty things. It's breaking that relationship, grumbling against God. Because we see it here. That was sin, and it was serious. But do you know what? I want to encourage you and explain this morning about this story, about these snakes. Some of us today... Blame the wrong snake. You say, what was he talking about? Some of us today are blaming the snake in the Garden of Eden. Satan. Some of us today are thinking when we've got problems and we shoot back down and things are going wrong for us, the enemy's attacked again. Satan's come again. And we blame the serpent of Eden. But sometimes as we see in this story, God sends snakes to direct us, to develop us and and develop our character. And I want to encourage you today, when you have some problems, don't always blame the devil. I've heard it many times, Peter used to say all the time that the devil's crying outside on on the doorstep of the church and somebody comes out and says, what's wrong with you, Satan? He says, I don't want to go back in there. They blame me for everything. But it's true. We just straight away, problems, Satan, God help me. When we don't realize God is doing things in our lives and sending some snakes, shooting us back down the ladder. We're looking at our friends, we're going a bit higher. We're saying, God, this can't be right. But God is developing character. Acts 27, Paul is on a shipwreck. They've just gone through a shipwreck and they're building a fire. He's pulling the things to build a fire. And a snake bites him. A snake bites him. 
And he overcomes and he doesn't die from this poisonous snake. God provided an antidote for him. This was from the enemy. He'd suffered some things for the gospel. Sometimes we get the wrong snake. Sometimes we do it, we judge it wrong. And sometimes we need to identify and look in our lives and see, is God allowing this? I'm going to pray to God and ask him. God's calling us to pray first. The point two was prayer is your priority. These people did not pray first. They didn't ask God first. The first thing they did in this story was grumble. They grumbled first. They didn't make prayer the priority. God is calling us today to pray first. If they'd have gone and said, Moses, we're finding it difficult, but we want to trust God. We want to trust God on this walk. We know that he's called us to go to the promised land, but this manner is difficult to eat, but we do trust God. Can you pray to God that he would help us and probably give us something that can help us sustain us? This is the type of thing that God was wanting, but he didn't see it. They grumbled immediately and prayer wasn't a priority for them. They made a big mistake. They spoke against God first rather than to him. They spoke against God rather than to him. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Take you on a journey till you speak against God. But if you speak to him first in prayer, you don't make prayer. They made prayer. They did pray, but they did it as a secondary option once they were in trouble. God, they would have learnt from this mistake that if they put prayer first, it might just help them next time. Amen? I want you to turn with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7 to 11 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. You're saying probably now, well I've asked for a lot of things and I ain't received them. Every time I read that scripture, I think, well, I've asked for lots of things. I've not seen anything. I've seen some things. I've not seen others. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, says Jesus, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you... Then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus said, if you ask, ask the Father for the things you need. If you ask, he won't give you a stone. Notice the connections here. Jesus could have turned Stone into bread. They were in a wilderness place of just stony wilderness territory. Probably looking and hallucinating at stones thinking if only they were bread. In their tiredness and weariness. But Jesus says if you ask first. It's almost like he's resorting back to that bit of scripture when they were tested. He's saying he won't give you a stone if you ask him. First, 
if you keep persistently asking. He won't give you a stone if you ask for bread. And he certainly won't give you a snake either. He won't give you a snake. Here we see it. Jesus gives us the result. He says, if you put prayer first and you ask rather than grumble first, do you think that a father who loves you will not hold back these things? But how many of you know as mothers and fathers, we want to discipline our children if they don't understand the concept. We can keep giving them things, but we prefer that they understand the lesson first. That's what God was doing in this. If they would only have asked God first, there would have been no snakes and no barren desert stones because they would have been concentrating on the things that God would have given them. I've heard it many times. I think people have a bracelet sometimes. It says, push on it. Pray until something happens. Some of us need to pray until something happens. When we see in this story, he says, keep persistently asking God is looking to see, does he really believe in me? Does he really want to ask for these things? Does she really want to ask for these things from me? God is asking us, he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. You've got to knock. You've got to keep asking God. The final point today is number three, is to keep a positive perspective. Keep a positive perspective perspective when we don't pray when we don't put into practice prayer and asking God because of the difficulties of life and when the snakes come and bite just like they did in numbers 21 we put our attention on the snakes we start to look down another one or oh, someone else has got bitten and the problem is just constantly looking down every day and never looking up. Always looking. Oh, another one. And another one. And trying to get the snakes. The enemy wants you in your life to look down at the problems. There's too many to deal with. And never look up. People look down. They look down when they could look up. Keep a positive perspective. You're scared of getting bit. You're scared that these things that God is allowing, this is just too much for me. But God will never allow things to take you down if it's a test from Him. Sometimes we have to recognize that there are, the the serpent, the snake is the enemy and he comes to seek and kill and destroy as the scripture says. And he will come like a roaring lion. He will come like these things to take you down and to, and, to, and, and to destroy your faith. But when the, when the snakes come and they're of God, we shouldn't look down. We should say, God, what is it you're trying to teach me in this to get through the journey? God sent the snakes in this story, in Numbers 21, not for people to just keep looking down and going, another one's been bit and another one's been bit. He wanted to see how they would change their character. But the very result is this. That the very thing in the final bit of this story is this. That when, it, when they asked Moses and Moses asked God, God says build, make a pole and put a, a bronze serpent on it. And he made a symbolic thing. 
There was nothing special about that specific piece of wood or the special bronze that he'd used. It was symbolic to represent if they would look at that, if they would just take their eyes from down below at the snakes and the problems, if they would only just look up and take their eyes off the issue and look up to the bronze snake, the very point is this. The symbolic thing is that they were turning themselves in faith to God. Not to a piece of wood and a piece of bronze. But they were looking because the symbolic thing was this. If you look up, you will live. That takes faith. That takes faith if you're, the leader that you're with says, if you want to live, I haven't got any anti-venom from Hitchinbrook or Adambrook's hospital. I've not got something that can cure you in seconds. And, and provide a result. But just listen, if you want to be cured and you don't want to die, just look at this piece of wood with a bronze snake. Some of them would have been thinking he was crazy. Some of them would have been thinking, have you heard what Moses is saying? He's saying to look at a piece of wood. He's saying that that's God's response. They would have been saying, if God really loved us, he would have sent some bread. He would have helped us. He'd have just took the snakes away. He'd have took these problems away. There'd have been no snakes. But why is he asking us to look at a piece of wood and a bronze snake? The simple answer is this. That it was symbolic. Because what it did is this. It didn't do anything, that snake. Nothing at all. Other than if they could turn their eyes and look up at that. They knew that they were following a command from God. That said that they were representing faith. Faith. God, we're sorry we trust you. We trust you. There might be a snake at my feet now, but I'm looking at you. James 4 verse 8 says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. In this story, God provides the anti-venom. And it's not in the way that they expected. He provided the anti-venom. I want you to turn with me in this last bit of scripture that takes us into New Testament in John 3 verse 14. John 3 verse 14. Jesus speaking. Verse 14 says this. We read Old Testament in Numbers earlier of the story of Numbers. In the desert. But Jesus here. In John 3 verse 14. Says. Just as Moses. Lifted up the snake. In the wilderness. So the son of man. Must be lifted up. Speaking of himself. So that everyone. Who believes. May have. Eternal life. In him. Amen. The bronze snake was a foreshadow of Jesus. It was who was going to come. Jesus says when they looked up at that snake on a pole that was created as a symbolic thing. Do you not realize that I am going to be crushed, bruised, whipped, lashed, take a crown of thorns and be hung upon a cross And die and be lifted up. The Bible says cursed is the man hung upon the tree. 
Do you not realize that just as they looked up, just as the Father asked them to look symbolically with faith and trust in the Father, I too have to be lifted up. I too will give my life and be lifted up for you. So that if you just look at me, you will live eternal life beyond the life that you know. Just look at me. Some of us need to stop looking down and change our perspective and say, do you know what Jesus it is? It's all about you. You've done everything for me. And look up at the cross. Come back to the cross. Come back to the place. Jesus. The song sings at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. Where the burdens of my sin were rolled away. Come back to the cross. Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up just like that snake was. And if you look at me, you live. Let me tell you this. The gospel is foolishness to the unbelievers, it says. This is scriptural, not my words. The gospel of Jesus Christ is foolish to the unbelievers. But it's the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. It's the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. Jesus says, "You." it might look crazy. It might look totally out of the ordinary for you to even think that trusting me, dying for you, is going to save you on the day of judgment. But let me tell you, it was just the same as in Numbers 21. When the people were being bitten and they were dying because of sin. They were dying because of sin. That if they looked, they would be saved. Some people would have thought it was crazy then to even trust in a snake and a pole. Jesus says, just the same. It sounds crazy. But it's so simple. Do you know what? The world wants to complicate the gospel. They want to complicate our how easy it is to come to Jesus. It's not hard. He made it the easiest way. He did all the work for us on the cross. All we have to do is believe. Trust Him. Trust Him. Just like that game of snakes and ladders. We talked a lot about the snakes biting and you jump flying back down. But just as in this game, there's a ladder. That goes up. Look up the ladder. Look up to Jesus. Look up to the author and finisher of our faith. Look up to him who's on the cross and say, God, do you know what? I may have some snakes around me, biting me, irritating me. Things that you might be sending to direct my path to fulfill your will. But do you know what, Lord? I'm going to keep looking up. I'm going to keep looking up. Because I trust you. That if I trust you, I will be well and I will not die. And that is the main thing. Not my problems. Not my problems. Finally, Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3 says this to close. Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3 says this. Let us run with perseverance the the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer 
and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Some of us need to fix our eyes back on Jesus again. Quit complaining, including me. Say, God, do you know what? I just seem to spend all my time grumbling about what I haven't got, what you haven't done. But Lord, do you know what? I'm not going to look at these snakes anymore. I realize that I've been grumbling. I realize I've not been putting prayer first and asking you in priority. But instead, Lord, I want to turn my eyes back to you. Say, Lord, I'm not going to look down. I'm not even going to look down if it's the enemy's serpent. Because just as Paul in Acts 27 could not be affected by a bite, then we can't be affected by the Satan's attacks. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.